Alright, so tonight we're doing the next Codex message. So those of you who don't know what a Codex message is, is it is a way for us to go through kind of something in the Bible or something about uh, Christianity and break it down and make it understandable. And today we have a very tough subject. And that subject is the Holy Spirit. Um, now, we haven't really, I don't think, addressed this ever in our youth group. And that is for multiple reasons. Firstly, well, there's a lot of, uh, um, I guess, denominational differences. What people believe about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and stuff like that. So there's a lot of controversy. Also, the Holy Spirit is, um, is very difficult to understand. Uh, he is a mystery. Jesus himself even talks about the Holy Spirit being a mystery to us. And uh, so, you know, it was very challenging preparing this, and I hope I don't bore you to death. So what I'm going to ask is that we all pray. And while we pray, I want you guys in particular to pray for two things. First of all, that I don't bore you to death. And secondly of all, that God will speak to us, that he will use his Holy Spirit for a practical demonstration tonight, him speaking into our lives. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that um, you are God. You are God of all. We thank you for who you are and for the fact that you want to get to know us, that you want us to be in intimate relationship with you, Lord, and that your spirit is there to help us. Lord, we just pray that you speak to us tonight, and we pray that you speak loud and clear. Um, and Lord, we pray that any boringness or any distractions would just go away, Lord, and that you talk. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, first slide. It is very difficult to talk about the Holy Spirit without first talking about the Trinity. Who knows what the Trinity is? Does anyone know? So tri is what? You guys would know maybe from maths, trigonometry. It's Latin for something. Does anyone know? That's right. Stephanie is saying three. Good work. So... The Trinity essentially is actually one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and all other Abrahamic religions, the main ones being Islam and Judaism. And uh, this is something unique to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament, and that is that our God is three in one, three distinct and separate personalities and one uh, God, one man, one figure, one God. So... Uh, the first thing to know about the Trinity is that we will never fully understand it. You will not fully understand it here on this earth it, with your mortal mind, your mortal body. You, we just can't get it. Um, C.S. Lewis once wrote, uh, I think it was in Mere Christianity, he wrote that if you lived in a two-dimensional world, all you see are straight lines, linear lines. That's all you know. That's your reality. When you go to the two-dimensional world, you can start to form uh, figures like squares and you, you can understand two-dimensional shapes. But a two-dimensional, a, a two sorry, a one-dimensional only sees line, two-dimensional sees squares. So a one-dimensional being can't really grasp what a two-dimensional shape looks like. And then if you go further than that, three-dimensional uh, plane, we see cubes. We know the height, depth, and width. And you try to de describe someone living in a two-dimensional world what a cube looks like, they can't understand it. But if you draw it in such a way where you've got the lines there, you know how to draw a cube, right, on a piece of paper. If you draw it, you can start to sense 
an idea behind it, but you still, if you lived in that two-dimensional plane, you still can't fully grasp it. And that's what our reality is. We cannot fully understand God. We just cannot, because God is infinite in every way. He is omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He is all the omnis. He is far beyond us. And frankly, it would be concerning if we called him God and thought we knew everything about him, because I think that would be a bit of a contradiction. So the Trinity is one of those elements about God that we just can't understand. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. In fact, God actually wants us to dig deeper into it. God wants us to know more about him and that aspect of his character. And uh, so I guess there are a few examples that we could come up with to try to illustrate what the Trinity is. Can anyone throw some out there? Some of you guys might know from Vetamorphosis and other things like that, that at school that you've done. How, how can you describe the Trinity to someone who has no idea? H2O. Oof. Please explain this H2O description. So water comes in three, H2O comes in three different forms, solid, gas, and liquid. They all feel and look very, very different, but their makeup is exactly the same. They are all exactly the same, the fact that they're H2O, they're water. Right. Any, any other examples? So another example is, you know, a man is a father, a man is a husband, and a man is a brother, but he's all one man, right? But he's got three different roles, three different uh, ways, identities, three different ways he engages with the world, but he's still a man, right? Um, you, you could come up, you know, there's the thing about the sun, it gives light, it gives heat, and, uh, you know, I can't remember, fusion, I don't know. But, uh, but the whole thing is that, you know, essentially trying to think of some way where one thing does three things, but that's still not really a great um, explanation. But hey, that's the best we can do, so that's fine. Let's move on from here. So the Holy Spirit, oh, I've got a little diagram for you in the next slide. So you can see from this diagram that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but they are all one of them God. Um, and again, that really doesn't help, but whatever, it's nice. So let's, let's move on. So who is the Holy Spirit? Read it. Go for it. Read it. Spoiler. He's, he's God, right? He is one of the Trinity. He is on the same level as Jesus and God the Father, right? They are one. They are God, right? So... We're going to move on now and we're going to have a look at what the Holy Spirit was doing in the Old Testament. Have you ever thought about that? What was the Holy Because we know about what the Holy Spirit kind of did in the New Testament. And Jesus makes it a bit more clear and the, the church talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. The early church talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. But what was he doing in the Old Testament? Well, the first instance where we get the, the, the Holy Spirit mentioned is actually in the very second verse in the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the waters before creation happened, before God began to create order out of the chaos that was the empty and formless and void earth. In the next, uh, well, these are just a few landmark examples that I pulled out from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God forms Adam, 
we get this verse. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, I want you to take note of this verse because we're going to get a lot of different verses where it mentions breathing and wind and breath and uh, life and all these kinds of things. And it's very important that we understand this point. And that point is that the spirit, the same word for spirit in uh, Hebrew is the same word for breath. This is not an accident. This is not by mistake. In fact, those of you who are Egyptian will also know that in Arabic, the same word for spirit is the word for breath. And it's the same thing. Uh, The study of the spirit uh, in Greek is actually known as pneumatology. Those of you who know pneumonia, this infection of the lungs, the lungs are all about breathing. The study of the spirit is the study of breath. And it's really amazing. And this is where we get it from, that God's spirit brought us life through his spirit, through his breath, he brings us to life. And he unionizes us with him. He says to us, I make you in my image. You all right, Rachel? Someone slap her on the back. Back slaps. No, not kick. (laughs) All right. So, all right. Then then we get a lot of um, other examples in the Old Testament. You all right? Do you want a glass of water? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a lot of examples uh, in the Old, Old Testament where it says things like the word of the Lord um, came to so and so. The spirit of the Lord rested on this person. The spirit of the Lord visited. Um, God's spirit was with him. These kinds of phrases and, and verses. And uh, this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Can anyone think of any particular examples in the Old Testament where that kind of thing was happening? So do you know King Saul, when, uh, when he um, broke the covenant with God, he disobeyed God, and um, he, he engaged in battle without, God's, without seeking God. And what happened was when God, when he did that, it says that the Spirit left him. The Holy Spirit was on Saul, and then it left him. Uh, we get another verse in Psalms 51, where David, just after he cheated, or just after he... Uh, um, had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, um, he, in his Psalm 51, he declares to God, don't take your spirit away from me. He's so concerned about the sin that he's just done, and he talks to God and says, don't take your spirit away from me. Um, we get a lot of these kinds of specific um, references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And do you know the interesting thing is that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it never dwells, it never stays It never rests on the people. It never just exists there. It always talks about the Holy Spirit visiting or coming and going or staying for a time. Do you you guys have any idea why this is? Any ideas whatsoever? I'll give you a hint. What was the state of the world to God at this point in time? Was Jesus crucified yet or not yet? So the world was not in an age of grace. And God was distant from the world and its people because we were still separated from him by sin. And yet there were few, there were some few that followed God in all his ways, pleased him that he chose to dwell in them, amongst them, and breathe into them some power, some uh, of his spark. 
and they did great things. Um, but, next slide, we find out that once the final minor prophets died, the Talmud, which is one of the holy um, Jewish scriptures, it says this. This is verbatim what the Talmud says. It says, when the last of the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, which are the last few books of the Bible, uh, the, the Old Testament, um, when they died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. He left. He went. And there was a period of silence. The Holy Spirit was not active. There was no more prophets. There was no more signs and wonders. Everything just quieted down. And yet, we have this promise in Joel 2, verse 28 uh, to 32, and I'll read you this right now. Afterward, this is God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sound familiar? We'll get to that later. All right, now we're moving on. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So this is a bit more clear. So what, what did the Holy Spirit do in the times after Jesus died and was resurrected and he left his spirit with people? Spoiler alert. What, what happened? So firstly, well, the first thing I've written is that the Holy Spirit inspired uh, his people to write his word. And we get... Many of, much of the New Testament is letters to and from uh, disciples, apostles, and members of the church. And uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Did anyone get that special word again? All scripture is what? God-breathed. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was involved in it. That's literally what it means. God breathed. In the same way that he breathed life into Adam, he breathed the word into those who believed in him. Matthew 3 verse 16 says this. And this is about when Jesus just was baptized and what the Holy Spirit did there. Soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit physically manifested as a dove to show God's favor and pleasure with his Son. Right? Um, these, are all, these all should trigger in your mind a bit of an idea and an understanding of what the role of the Spirit is. We'll get to the role of the Spirit later on as well. Um, what else we got? We've got the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. Did you guys know this? There are lots of verses about this, but I picked one from Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. It says this. On one, by the way, do you guys have your Bibles or your phones? Because if you do, follow along if you can go fast enough. I got it all on my thing ready to go because this is going to take a long time if I have to look them all up. So anyway, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus after he's resurrected, and he's now uh, you know, going around proving to all his disciples and, and a lot of other people the fact that he's alive. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, the disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A promise. From Jesus to his disciples that 
the Holy Spirit would come. And uh, then we get, this is, this, is, this is key. You ready? I want you to listen up with this part because it's very important. It is Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the day where God pours out his spirit and opens heaven. And this is what we find from uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. These are the disciples. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. What was that? What was it? The blowing of a violent wind oof, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's very, very key and important moment in the history of the church. This was the promise that God said um, in Joel 2, 28, which we just read a little bit before. And you know what? The disciples knew it because as soon as Peter uh, got up and what was happening, I'll fill in the story here until we pick up from verse 15 to 21. They all started speaking in these tongues or there were a lot of people visiting Jerusalem at the time, a lot of Jews visiting Jerusalem at the time from all these different other countries because they were coming to Jerusalem for their pilgrimage. And they heard the disciples speaking in all these tongues and they're like, oh, they're speaking my native tongue. And another guy was like, oh, yeah, this guy's speaking in my native tongue. And they're all like, what's going on here? Whoa. And they're all glorifying God in our native tongues. What's going on? Some of the people, though, were like, these guys are so drunk. And this is what Peter says to them in verse 15 to 21. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Good call, Peter. No, this is what... It was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see, they would have been well acquainted with God's word. They were coming for a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And Peter himself quotes Joel. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Um, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he began with that and spoke about Jesus and everything he'd done and everything that had happened to him. And 3,000 people in that day came to know Christ and received the Holy Spirit. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy that God was so intent in his word, even before Jesus, to make this promise, to say that I will live among you. Because as we know, the Holy Spirit is God. And God says that one day I will live among you. One day I will pour myself out on you. One day I will be in union with you and whoever calls on my name will be saved. This is a groundbreaking, shattering moment in all of human history. So the question is, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Does anyone know? How do we get Him? And when do we get Him? Because that's what I wrote in my title. When and how do we get the Holy Spirit? Don't be shy. And I will start picking on people if no one volunteers. So Phoebe, how and when do we get the Holy Spirit? Uh, Just read the first sentence. The first one? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> the day you are saved. Boom. Done. The day you were saved. That's the answer. Do you know, God's promise is to each and every one of us that the day we come to Him, the day that we repent of our sins, the day we call Jesus Lord, and the day we declare Him Lord of our lives, the day we do that, He comes and He lives in us. He dwells in us. His Holy Spirit. You don't believe me? Well, let's have a look at a few verses. In uh, John chapter 3, verse 3 to 8. So a lot of these verses are actually going to come from Jesus Himself. Um, and this particular passage comes when Jesus is talking to a guy called Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the religious rulers of the time. And he came to Jesus in the middle of the night and was going, Hey, what's up, what's up with what's going on? And uh, he goes, How can we get the kingdom of heaven? And in verse 3 to 8, Jesus says this, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh uh, gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus here has this extremely strange conversation with a religious leader. And in it, he says, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And the religious leader is like, what are you talking about? I can't climb back into my mother's womb. She's old and she can't give birth anymore. And that would be weird on so many levels. I can't do that. So how can I be born again? And Jesus goes, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You want to see the kingdom of God? You want to see something above yourself? Then you need to be born of something above yourself. You need to be born in the Spirit. And then he describes it in this weird way. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that God instills in all of us. He breathes in us afresh again. He gives us His Spirit. He dwells in us. And then His Spirit moves with power. And it's a mystery. It blows. No one can say where it comes from or where it's going. But it moves. It's there. It's, it's, um, it's tangible. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, we find that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. This is the verse. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Again, emphasizing the point that when the day that you were saved, you get the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Simple as that. And He dwells in you. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We'll touch on that point a little bit later as well. In John 14, verse 16 to 17, It says this, um, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, i.e. the spirit of the Lord. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives within you and will be in you forever. Um, Again, you're sealed by his spirit. 
And finally, you're baptized in the Spirit. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 13 that for we are all baptized by one Spirit to us to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Some people get a bit confused about what it means. You know, there are lots of different ways that we talk about the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, uh, filled with the Spirit. All these different ways that we describe it. And people tend to be confused. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once and once only. And that is when you are saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you join with Christ in His death. And you put to death all your sins. You repent. You are buried with Him in His uh, death. And then you are resurrected to life again. A new creation and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether that happens figuratively, of course. But anyway, and that's why Jesus talked to Nicodemus about uh, being baptized in water and spirit as well, because the water is a metaphor um, for that baptism. Anyway, I'm rambling. So let's move on. Um, so how do you become born again? Wait, Daniel, how do you become born again? Everyone knows John 3.16. Let's all say it together. You ready? One, two, three. For God so loved the world... Nice, good. And in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, it says something very similar. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, it's very simple. Belief and declaration. Belief and declaration. I know that Jesus is Lord. I know that I need to be saved. And I declare him Lord over me. I believe it. I declare it. And then that's where your journey begins. The Holy Spirit um, comes and that's where your journey with God begins. So, before we go to the next slide actually, can you all tell me, just from all the stuff that we talked about, what are the roles of the Holy Spirit? Because we covered many of them already, whether you realize it or not. What are the roles of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to start calling people out. Jonathan? Roles of the Holy Spirit. Can someone help Jonathan out? Helper. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit many times the helper. What else? Crawl us. What are some of the other roles of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I can't, man. I can't. <laughs> All right, can someone help crawl us out? All right, let's go to the next slide. Let's cover them all up. Look, essentially, you can cover the roles of the Holy Spirit with one overlying umbrella um, statement and term, and that is that the number one role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. We read this in John chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus himself says this, He will glorify me, this is the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. That is the, over, like the overarching role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. And He does this through a few different ways. Number one, He's called the Advocate or the Counselor. In John 14, 16, which we actually read before, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever. Do you know the word advocate here in the original Greek, do you know what it actually means? I'll put it in brackets. One who is alongside. 
What God is actually saying when He says that the Holy Spirit will be your advocate is He will be alongside you all the time. He is your advocate. He walks alongside you. Um, he also is our comforter. You see, the disciples were about to face the prospect of losing Jesus. Uh, he would die, then he would be resurrected, and then he would leave them. He would go to heaven. And, uh, and this was going to be, Jesus knew that this was going to be a huge shakeup for them. And obviously we see that it was a huge shakeup for them. And so Jesus says these words. He says in John 14, verse 17 to 18, he says... But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. When you need help, when you're missing Jesus, when you feel like something's empty or something's not right or whatever, the Holy Spirit is there. He's your comforter. He's there to help. Um, in another, um, so another important role of the Holy Spirit is that he guides us to the truth. This is a very interesting verse. John chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Do you know that the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak to you depends on your ability or your capacity to absorb God's Word? Do you know this? Do you know that the Holy Spirit cannot speak to you if you don't know God's Word? That's a, that's a mind-blowing thought. Those of you who always want to hear God's voice, those of you who always want to say, I want to just be led by the Spirit. I want God to speak to me. Do you know how the beginning of that process is? To know His Word, to read the Bible, to know what Jesus says, to know what God says in His Word. Because the Holy Spirit draws on that. That's his resource. I'll read it again. Um, John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. God wants you to know his word, not for the sake of just knowing his word, but for the sake of him to be able to use it in your life. To him, bring it back into your memory when it's necessary and needed. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to guide you back to the truth. In uh, John 16, 8, we find out that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. When he comes, it says, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the only one who convicts of sin. You cannot do it. You cannot go to someone and you cannot list them off all the problems that they have or all the problems you think they have, and they will be like, yep, you're totally right. That's not possible. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, 20, um, it's, uh, it says that the Holy Spirit gives us revelations. This is an epic verse. You ready? On that day, the day of the Holy Spirit coming, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. What a statement. That's the beginning of the theology behind the Trinity. That I am in my Father, Jesus is in his Father, you are in me, that we are in Christ, and that he is in you, the Holy Spirit lives within us. All one, all one and the same, all in harmony and union together, that God includes us to be in the triune of himself. Revelation, right? Crazy. Also, I'm not going to read this because I realize I'm just reading you verse after verse after verse. So in 1 Corinthians 12.3, it talks about the fact that the revelation of Jesus being Christ, being the Messiah, is only a revelation that the Holy Spirit gives you. 
And it's, you cannot get that revelation with, without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us revelations. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about the Holy Spirit helping us witness. And you see, Jesus says this just before he ascends. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit will help you witness to my name. And then finally, the last two things that I got here about the roles of the Spirit is number one, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. See, when the Spirit lives in you, when you have become a believer and He dwells in you, then out of that and out of that relationship comes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, and I think I missed one. Goodness, you're right. And faithfulness too. My bad. So, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, th- these fruits of the Spirit, they come, they manifest themselves. And the Lord says that by their fruits, you'll know that they are mine. Um, and then finally, the last thing is in 1 Corinthians 12, you get these statements about the uh, gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is a controversial topic, okay? I'll read you the verse. I want you guys to make up your own mind about all of this, okay? I will make a few points, but at the end of the day, I just want you guys to make your own minds up about this, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Or some of them. There are some other uh, chapters and verses in the New Testament that go through a few different variations of those kinds of things. But that's a brief, succinct summary of all of them. So, the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you have ever prophesied? How many of you have ever spoken in tongues? How many of you have ever uh, taught? Does that mean you don't have a gift of the Holy Spirit? You're right, Steph. That's, you're correct. It's not true. It does not mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit. In fact, I challenge you and I say that probably in one way or another you actually do have these gifts and either they haven't been made manifest yet or they've been made manifest and you haven't even been aware of it. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. The next slide. So, firstly, we'll... What to understand about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that there are actual gradations. What I mean by that is there are some that are better than others. Paul actually goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12 that uh, tongues are pretty much useless. It's useless, really, at the end of the day, if you have tongues. He counts them the least among all the other gifts of the Spirit. Read it yourself, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Um, But he prioritizes things like prophecy and teaching. He says, these are the things that you should aspire to, prophecy and teaching. Can can any of you think about why? The answer's there. Can any of you think about why? So first of all, what is prophecy? Does anyone know what prophecy is? So prophecy is simply just uh, passing on a message from God. That's what prophecy is. Do you know 
um, when you sit with a friend and they're talking to you about a hardship or uh, some trouble and you feel a conviction that you need to bring Jesus into this in some form or shape and you talk truth about God to them in relation to their situation, do you know that's prophecy? That's what prophecy is. It's speaking a message from God to someone. Teaching is obvious. Teaching is kind of like what I'm doing right now, or hope I'm doing right now. Um, you know, there are, there are gifts that we think are like crazy, but they're actually not that crazy. And in fact, um, you know, the whole thing with the gifts of the Spirit is that it's the wind, yeah? We don't know where it's coming from, and we don't know where it's leading us to, but it happens, and God speaks and works and does His thing, and sometimes we'll be aware of it, sometimes we're not. And that's okay. The day that we chase after the gifts of the Spirit as some magical experience or some emotional experience is the day that we lose sight of what God has in mind with His Spirit and with what He wants to do in us and through us. The day you seek after an experience or after a magic trick is the day you miss the point. The Holy Spirit is there first and foremost to glorify Christ. And the first way he does that is by manifesting the fruits of the Spirit in you so that people can see Christ in you. And the second way he does it, when he chooses to do it, and in the way that he chooses to do it, as we read it, um, Paul's saying that he distributes them to each one just as he determines, not we determine. Those gifts, when he does pour them out on us, they ultimately will not be for our benefit unless tongues because they're not for anyone else's benefit. But they're not for our benefit. They are for Christ's glory and to bring people to know him. Okay? And then interestingly, interestingly, do you know how Paul closes off his dialogue about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12? He says this in verse 30 to 31, the very end of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, do all, uh, sorry, you ready? do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, which is the ones that we talked about. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And do you know what? 1 Corinthians 13 comes next. And what's 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Love. And that's the most excellent way. And in fact, you may recall that the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, if I speak in tongues but do not have love, I am a resounding God, like all that kind of stuff. And then 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks more about tongues and prophecy and all that kind of stuff. You can read it yourself. It's really fascinating. But at the bottom line, the most excellent way, manifesting the fruits, particularly love. Because love, this is how they, sh- you, they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Love is the distinguishing feature. The fruits of the Spirit are what are going to shine through you, what are going to glorify Christ, and they are a direct work in the Holy Spirit. So you know what? They're just as miraculous as the gifts of the Spirit. They are just as miraculous. And don't ever be tricked into thinking otherwise. Okay, so now we come to a very interesting topic indeed, and that is being filled with the Spirit. Does anyone know what being filled with the Spirit means? So we receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when we become Christians when we follow Jesus. He seals that and he promises that he gives us the Holy Spirit. And then it is our responsibility to ensure that we are filled with the Spirit. I mean, it's God's desire that we are filled with the Spirit, but we also have an onus of burden on us 
to engage in that process because it's an active process. It is not simply as many people will tell you, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and you pray and fast and you do all these crazy things, and then one day it happens and it's crazy. Although sometimes it does happen that way for some people. But uh, most of the time, really, it will happen this way, which is the way that we're going to talk about right now. So, next slide. It is a commandment that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what is it? What is being filled with the Spirit? It's having God pure and simply take control. It's saying to Him, you are the Lord of my life. It's saying to Him, Spirit, fill me from top to bottom. Less of me, more of you. I want you in my life to the full. And then out of that, it's seeing Him act and move through you. It's seeing Him do stuff. It's seeing Him lead people through your relationships to come to know Him. It's seeing Him uh, maybe even doing miracles and signs and wonders. So when does it happen? It happens daily and always. For every day that we walk on this earth, that we should always be striving to be filled with the Spirit. And why should we have it? Uh, Why should we be filled with the Spirit? Because firstly of all, God commands it to us. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, um, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's not instead, maybe think about being filled with the Spirit. He's pretty much better than being drunk on wine, so it's a good idea or whatever. No, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because you see, when you're filled with the Spirit, God's way, not your way. I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to get drunk on wine, right? God's way, not the world's way, not losing myself, not being less of myself, God's way. So, it's a command. We, we obey God when we follow after that and we say, yes, I do want to be filled with the Spirit when we are filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we are empowered to walk closer with Him and be more like Jesus. And that's what the fruits of the Spirit are. They're the manifestation of that. Walking closer to Jesus, being more and more like Him you start to show the fruits of the Spirit. And finally, to be empowered to bring others to uh, Him and glorify Jesus through that. And that's where both the fruits and the gifts play a part. So, the question is, how do we get filled with the Spirit? You remember how we kept on bringing up breathing a lot and wind and all that? Yeah? Do you know, I think that this is because the reason why God calls His Holy Spirit Rosh um, Al-Kos, or I'm absolutely butchering the Hebrew name for the Holy Spirit, or Rosh Al-Kodos in Arabic, and again, I butchered that. But, um, but look, the reason why He calls the Spirit His breath is because God, I think, is trying to illustrate something to us very powerful and important, and that is that His Spirit is essential as air to us. It's as essential as air to us. The very first thing he did when he created Adam was he breathed into him his spirit, his life, creating us in his image so that we could walk with him. Being filled with the spirit and having the Holy Spirit and desiring the Holy Spirit is as essential as breathing. It is the thing that sustains us. And also, not just that, but... um, when you think about breathing, think of a marathon runner, right? And he's just about to run the race. And what would happen if, as this marathon runner is running, he starts to breathe really shallowly and fast? What would happen? And he's trying to run, like, kilometers, and he's going... What's going to happen to him? 
collapse, right? And like the first K, if not quicker. Why? Because you need to breathe deeply. The oxygen needs to fill your lungs to give your muscles and your, your energy and cellular respiration, all that biology that you all hate. It needs to do its work. And then you exhale just as deeply because you've got to get rid of the carbon dioxide and all the stuff that is going to make your muscles bogged down with lactic acidosis and all that kind of stuff when you don't have proper oxygenation going on. You've got to get that oxygenation in and you've got to get that carbon dioxide out. You've got to breathe deeply and regularly. And this is exactly what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. This is the model. So what do we exhale? What do we breathe out? Well, firstly, we'll sin, right? Because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin is opposite to God. God cannot get close to us. We put barriers up in front of God when we sin. So we breathe that out, exhale it, get rid of it. What else do we breathe out? Anything that we put in front of God, whether it's a sin or not. Hey, I play PlayStation too much and it's taken away from my time where I get to read God's word and spend time in prayer. Breathe it out. Hey, I watch too many movies. Breathe it out. I go shopping too often or I spend my money carelessly and I value money and and objects and worldly possessions way too much. Breathe it out. Hey, this relationship I'm in, it's really destructive to what's going on and what God wants to do in my life. Breathe it out. Breathe it out. And the more deeply you exhale, the more deeply you can inhale. Right? And what do we inhale? We inhale... God's Word. We inhale by praying, by talking with God, by communicating with Him. We inhale by asking God, fill me. Give me the oxygen when I breathe in, God. I want your Holy Spirit. Fill me. And you know what? By faith, when we say that, God's promise, it's God's command, so God's promise when we pray that prayer is that He will do it. And in a, in a kind of a summary term, Romans 12, 1 to 2 says this. Um, it says, and I'll bring it up. Where'd it go? I didn't put it on. Well, anyway, uh, it talks about being living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I am no longer myself. I am on the altar. I am a sacrifice before God. But I'm alive only because of His Spirit. May He work in me and through me so that I may be a pleasing sacrifice to Him. And that is how we breathe. You exhale. You see, God fills what you empty. When you empty yourself of yourself, God fills it with Himself, which is the the Holy Spirit. That's really as simple as that. Like It's really that simple. You empty and He fills. You exhale and then you inhale deeply both ways. And that's why it's a daily process because every day you need to exhale and every day you need to inhale. It's a daily process. So, next slide. Um, oh, sorry, one more thing about that last slide. So, uh, the, the other key and important thing is that you need to have faith in this process. There will be times where you won't feel like you're getting anywhere, where you'll be like, Lord, I want to be filled with your spirit, and I just don't feel like it's happening. I don't feel like I'm the fruits of the spirit aren't really there. I don't feel like the gifts of the spirit are being manifest. I don't feel like people are coming to know you because of me. I don't feel like I'm powerful or 
pardon me, empowered or anything like that. I just feel like I'm running on empty. I feel like I'm running low. I want you. I want you so bad, but I just feel like I'm running on empty. And you know what? This is where faith comes in. In uh, Ephesians 5.18, we read and we know that it is God's command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, this is one of God's most beautiful promises. Listen to this. It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. You pray in God's will, He hears you. If He hears you, He answers you. This is about things in His will, right? Let's just be clear about that. So you know... That it is in God's will that you are filled with the Spirit. How do we know it's in His will? Because He commanded it. So we know it's in His will that we are filled with the Spirit. So when I ask God for it, while exhaling all the stuff that will be a barrier for Him to come into my life and to fill me, if I exhale fully and I ask, it will happen. It is as simple as that. You see, you don't go to the bank trying to cash a check and then you go, and you know the bank account that you're going to ch- cash the check from is good and it's all right and it's a legit check. You don't go up to the teller and give her the check and then say, please, please give me the, the money that I need and it's the check. No, you go up to the cashier, you give her the check and you wait for your money and then you say thank you and you walk on. Because you know it's by faith. That's the way things work. That's the way things work with God. We know it's His command. We pray in His will. We exhale all the stuff that will stop Him from moving in our lives. And we inhale by faith, knowing that we're getting oxygen, not carbon monoxide or anything that will kill you, but oxygen in God's life. And it will make you stronger and grow. Do you know there's a story? There's a story I read about um, a guy who um, was a seminary student. And he goes up to one of his... Uh, lecturers, and he's like, after he hears a similar kind of message, and uh, the, this, the lecturer was saying something along the lines of, if you are a Christian and you are filled with the Spirit, a natural outcome of being filled with the Spirit is that people come to know Jesus through you. Like, it's A plus B equals C. It happens. And the guy came to the lecturer and was stressed out. He was like, but I try so hard and I want to be filled with the Spirit and all this kind of stuff, but I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't ever, like, I can't even remember the last time I brought anyone to know Jesus. I can't even remember the last time I led someone to come to know Jesus. And so they had a chat, and they found out that this guy, he didn't believe what God was saying to him. He didn't believe that if he just asks, it will happen. So you know what happened? They sat there in, in the lecturer's office. They prayed together. And nothing crazy happened. There was no seizures. There was no speaking in tongues. There was no uh, like miracles or anything like that. But do you know what happened as soon as this guy left the office? Literally a few hours later, he met someone, just a random person, didn't like intend to, but met that person, had a conversation. They became a believer. And do you know what happened after that? He started seeing more and more people come to know Christ. This person is now a preacher. I don't know his name, so I'm sorry. I can't wow you with a famous name. But this person is now a preacher, and he's led hundreds, if not thousands, of people to come to know the Lord. Faith. It's faith. We, we know it's in God's will. We ask for it, believing that he, he is faithful to his promises, and we watch him do his thing. The wind comes and goes. And we don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes to. But 
We encounter him and it's tangible and it's real and we see him move in our lives. Um, okay, so that, that brings us to the last thing um, and that is, well, what are some barriers to being filled with the Spirit? What are some barriers to actually being filled with the Holy Spirit? I got a few helpful points up there. So um, the first one is the most obvious one, and that is that you never had the Spirit to begin with. You can't be filled with what you don't have. So that's pretty obvious, and I don't think we need to go more in depth on that one. The second one is that you're a worldly Christian. You love the world too much. This is a real phenomenon. It really happens. You can read about it. Paul talks about it many times. Um, and there are examples of it in the New Testament about people um, who are named either in name or collectively as a church who start to stray away and, and become worldly Christians. There's, a, um, there's a, 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 what do you call it, a preacher by the name of Bill Bright who is the guy who wrote the Four Spiritual Laws. And he also produced the Jesus movie that uh, the Egyptians love to show all the time and like every single event. Anyway, so this guy, Bill Bright, he wrote these words. They're pretty epic. It's a, it's a long quote, so I apologize. But listen up. Listen to this. The worldly or carnal Christian certainly experiences the conviction of the Holy Spirit and will not continue in his sins indefinitely. Otherwise, he's possibly not a Christian at all. But defeated and fruitless, he depends on self-effort to live the Christian life instead of drawing on the supernatural, inexhaustible resource of the Holy Spirit. Having experienced the joy and blessing of fellowship with God, he has lost present contact and does not know how to recapture that lost fellowship. In search for happiness and fulfillment, this person has become self-centered and not Christ-centered. As a result, he has become increasingly confused and frustrated, does not know what to do about it, He does not know how to live by faith. Instead, he lives by feeling. The worldly Christian tries rather than trust. He tries rather than trust. He does not know how to stop being worldly, nor how to become a spiritual Christian. The only one who can enable him to change is, of course, the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we get in this place where we experience a high with God. We experience him and encounter him. And then we go back to the world. We go back to whatever makes us happy in our day-to-day lives. And then if we do this long enough and we don't recognize Christ and we don't call upon the Holy Spirit and we ask for help, we get in this vicious cycle. We get in this pattern where we keep trying to seek more fulfillment. But instead, because we're so worldly and our minds are so geared to the way the world works, instead of going to the source of our life, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, instead of going to the source... We keep trying to manipulate things around us. We keep trying to manipulate people. We keep trying to manipulate the circumstances to try and give us this spiritual high again. Maybe if I worship loud enough or if I pray long enough or if I fast long enough or whatever it is, all good things. But you're missing the point if you're a worldly Christian and you're not thinking the right way. You are going to external things which may or may not be good or bad and you're missing the core. And that's a sad, sad life. Um, So you could be a worldly Christian and you could be completely missing the source of your power, the Holy Spirit himself. And that's why you're not being filled with the Spirit because you're trying everything but God himself to fill you with the Spirit. Um, The other possibility of why you're not being filled with the Spirit is that you didn't know how to possess what you already owned. There's this really cool story about um, this chick in Scotland, this old woman in Scotland who raised her son. And her son was this epic businessman. He went to America and um, 
he studied uh, like at Harvard and became this really successful businessman and really great man and has family and lives there. And he always writes to his mother um, back in Scotland. And one day his mother is, you know, one of her girlfriends is over. She's like in her 70s or whatever. And she's chatting with her girlfriend and she's living in this like empty apartment with like sparse furniture and like she doesn't really have anything to help her out that much in terms of cooking um, equipment and whatever, things that you need to live. And she's just living poor, essentially. And so her, um, her girlfriend is like, what, doesn't your son, who's this hotshot that you've been telling me about, doesn't he send you money? And she's like, oh, no, but I don't want to be a burden. But he does send me these lovely portraits. Oh, they're so beautiful. And instead of the, the other girlfriend, the woman, like, instead of her, like, she's biting down like a abuse to her son and she's like oh um, let me see those portraits then and so the old woman shuffles to the um, counter and pulls out this wad of American dollar like American bills she's sitting in thousands and thousands of US dollars there and she thinks that they're portraits that he drew for her and you see she owned the money she owned wealth but she didn't possess it she didn't utilize it you own the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus if you've been sealed if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if you've turned to Christ, call Him Lord and Savior, you have Him, but you're not utilizing Him. You're not, own, you're not possessing Him. You're not saying, fill me more, more, more. You're not calling on Him. And then the last thing, uh, a barrier, the last barrier, and then we're done, I promise. Last barrier of why you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're afraid. That you're afraid. Some people um, are afraid that if they rely and depend fully on God, God will send them out to Africa in the middle of nowhere and they'll become a martyr. Some people are afraid, and this is actually a true story. Um, a seminary student, again, were, was um, talking to his uh, like mentor. And he was like, I'm so afraid of asking God uh, to move in me in power and for His Holy Spirit to fill me, because I feel that if I go all the way, I feel like if I commit fully to God, I feel like He's going to kill my parents. And he said, I had a premonition when I first became a Christian that if I gave everything to Christ, that my, my parents would die, that He would kill them in a car accident and never see them again. And I don't want to give my all to Christ because I'm afraid of what He might do. That's a lie. That's a lie. Do you know what the Bible says about God? It says that He loves us. In 1 John, I think 4, it talks about, and I've quoted this verse a bunch of times, it talks about that where there is love, there is no fear. I completely butchered that verse, but love, oh, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. If you are approaching God with this attitude of fear of, I don't know what you're going to do to me if I give everything to you. I don't know what you're going to do to me. If you're going to send me to Africa, if you're going to tell me to give up all the things I love, if you're going to tell me to break up with this person or if you're going to kill this person or whatever, you don't know God. You don't know that He loves you. You don't know that His heart for you is love. What parent would ever, if their child came to them and said, Mom, Dad, I love you so much. I want to, um, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What kind of parent would say, I got you now, kid. I've been waiting for you to say this all your life. 
And now I'm going to take away all your cookies and you're not going to you're going to eat Brussels sprouts for a week. What kind of parent would be would be like that? A good parent, a good parent, not even a perfect parent, but a good parent would say, "I love you too. Come here. That's really sweet." And hug them. God is our perfect father. God loves us with an eternal undying love. There is nothing that you can do or ever do that will separate you from his love. And so when you commit and you submit and you ask him to fill all of you as you exhale as deeply as you can and you inhale as deeply as you can of him, you know what he does? He does nothing, <clears throat> pardon me, nothing but pour out all his grace and peace and mercy and love to you. Perfect love casts out all fear. That's not to say that he might call you to be a missionary in Africa. He might call you to give up something that you love. He might call you to break a relationship that isn't right. He might call you to do some tough things. But you need to know and need to understand that God does not do this out of some evil scheme or plot or try to ruin your fun. He does this because he loves you. He does this because he knows what's best for you. And we need to trust him. So, where are you at? Where are you up to in your walk? First of all, do you even have the Holy Spirit? Have you, do you know Him? Have you come to know Him? Have you come to call upon the name of Jesus? Say to Jesus that you are Lord, I need you in my life, and uh, be Lord of my life. Have you done that? Because doing that seals you by His Spirit. He lives and dwells within you, and He empowers you to live a life with Him and for Him. And if you have done that, are you engaging in relationship with God? Are you engaging with the Holy Spirit and asking Him to fill you? Are you being filled with the Spirit daily? Are you inhaling God and exhaling all the stuff that will inhibit God to move in your life? Are you seeing fruits of the Spirit in your life? Are you seeing gifts of the Spirit? Are you desiring Him to work in power in your life, to manifest fruits and gifts? Because you should. And lastly, are other people seeing the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit in your life and coming to know God or at least asking more questions about God because of it? I don't know where you're at in your journey, but this is a challenge. It's really a challenge. It's the greatest challenge we have once we come to know Christ. That challenge is to be transformed into Christ's image day by day. And the only way to do that and to have that happen is through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to have a time of discussion in our mental groups. But as we pray, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to reflect. As every head is bowed and eye is closed, I'm going to ask you guys to reflect about where you're at with God tonight. Where are you at with the Holy Spirit? For some of you, this is all brand new. For some of you, you never even knew that the Holy Spirit was God. Some of you, you never even knew that the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. That's okay. It's alright if this was all new. Because now you know. And God holds his hand out. And he says, I want to fill you. I want you to live a life of power. I want you to live a life of power and not fear or timidity. I want you to know my love and that love to cast out all your fear. 
I want you to see yourself transformed into my image. To become a new creation from glory to glory. What are you going to say back to him? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are so beyond our comprehension and yet you make yourself known to us. Lord, we thank you that you came on, down here on this earth, Lord. You showed us what you were like in a way we could understand. And Lord, you gave everything for us. And Lord, when you went back to heaven, you sent your spirit to fill us, Lord, and to be in relationship and communion with us, Lord. The breath that goes and comes, we don't know where it's coming from, we don't know where it's going, Lord, but we, we know and we feel your spirit moving in power in our lives. And we want more of you, Lord. We want more of you. Lord, even now as we pray, fill us, anoint us. We know that this is your command. We know it's your desire. And Lord, it's our desire. Lord, we get rid of everything that will block us from relationship with you. And we ask you to fill everything we give up. We want to see you move in our lives in power and in grace, Lord, for us and for other people that we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and that you answer them. In your name we pray. Amen.